Welcome to Embers and Wind. Are you feeling a calling to serve? What if answering this calling unleashes from deep within you leadership potential? I'm your podcast host, Keith Weedman. Blended three decades experience with knowledge from multiple disciplines to unleash hidden potential in others. In this weekly podcast, my distinguished guests and I will share what fuels us and how we serve. You will feel a gentle wind on the embers of service that glow within you. You will receive kindling for your capabilities and knowledge to build skills. You can utilize this gentle wind to ignite the kindling. You will be guided to do this for people you lead and serve. You can apply what you learn with people you love. Get ready to feel the gentle wind. Tal Singh is from Birmingham in the United Kingdom. He's a certified meditation coach with many hundreds of hours of meditation experience. He studied leadership and management at university. Now he teaches meditation to others at Soulbright Meditation and Wellbeing. He founded Soulbright. The title of this episode is Meditation and Wellbeing. Please join me in welcoming Tal Singh to Embers and Wind. Welcome, Tal. Hi, Keith. Nice to be with you today. Tell us about your journey to find your calling and purpose in life. It started around two years ago, I would say. So I came to a point in my life where I had no direction. I was into things that weren't good for me, you know, different addictions, different vices. I was working a nine to five job. I had no sense of fulfillment. I, I, I guess you could call it a midlife crisis. I really wanted to change. I didn't know how I wanted to change, but I really wanted to change. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the pandemic, one of the things that I did, just as a, a small thing, I thought, what, what's the smallest thing or the simplest thing that I can change about my life? And I, I just stopped eating meat. I became a vegetarian at the beginning of the pandemic. After I gave up meat and became a vegetarian, I gave up alcohol. And then after that, I gave up smoking. All of my vices, one by one, I, I gave them up. And then I found meditation. When I began meditating, my intuition would start telling me my purpose is to teach others about meditation and teach others about this life that I have discovered. So, and mm-hmm. so that's how my journey started. Would it be fair to say that meditation changed your life? 100% completely. I would describe it as night and day. So my pre-meditation life was like the mm-hmm. darkness that I, I was in. And then now I'm fully immersed in the daylight. What type of meditation do you practice and teach? So I'm a Sikh by birth. I'm still a practicing Sikh. Sikhism is actually the, the one of the, the fifth largest religion in the world, founded in northern India in the state of Punjab by Guru Nanak. The meditation technique that they teach is called Sars Giras, which places the emphasis on the breath, the breath work. What the gurus taught us, what Guru Nanak taught us, was that we should meditate which, with every breath. We should be meditating. Uh, and so that's the kind of principle behind it. For you, it's related to your religion. Yes. But you believe it's relevant to people who are Christians or in other religions? Yes, 100%. So this is, so the way I teach is actually quite a secular approach. 
So it's a spiritual approach rather than being specific to any one religion. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, believe it or not, I actually follow two religions. I also follow Christianity. Um, I go to the church every Sunday. I am actually baptized as a Christian also uh, by, by the Church of England here, here, here in the UK. Uh-huh. But I also, so in, every Sunday in the morning, I'll go to church. And then after church, I'll go to the, the Sikh temple called the Gurudwara or the Gurdwara. And yeah, that, that, that's how I, I, I work with both religions. Both suit me. The way I describe it is I like uh, strawberry ice cream, but I also like mint ice cream. So why can't I taste both? So to me, both of those religions, both of those spiritualities, they both taste sweet to me and they both taste of truth to me. So I embrace both. Now, there could be somebody listening who is an agnostic or yeah. a atheist mm-hmm. and Tell us about how this could be helpful to them. Yeah, sure. So I think for for the agnostic people, the, I think they're a bit easier to work with because I guess they're unsure about where where they stand in terms of spirituality. And, and for them, what I would say is that you know try and, and experience it because once you start meditating, you start experiencing things that you may not experience in your in, in your normal life. Mm-hmm. I think once you experience these different what I would call synchronicities in in, in life or physical vibrations, I feel, uh, when I meditate as well in my body and in my brain. Once you get these physical sensations, you know, you you will then be more convinced, I would say, as an agnostic. As an atheist uh, or or two atheists, what I would say is is the same thing again. Experience it. Once you experience it, you you have that internal validation. They say, wow, actually, I experienced something that was, you know, more than me or bigger than me or outside of me and once you have that mm-hmm. outside experience or that out of body experience it's very difficult once you eliminate all the other variables that it could be it's very difficult to say actually you know what i don't think there's anything bigger than me or there's nothing after my life it's very difficult to say that i would say were you religious before you started meditating so I wasn't religious as such. I always believed in the principles of religion. So I, I always believed in them, but I didn't practice them as much as I should have. So I think that mm-hmm. was a big thing for me. I, I kind of felt like a hypocrite in life. I felt I believe in these things, but I don't really follow them. And I felt like my life was a bit of a contradiction. Mm-hmm. And so I, I sought to kind of reconcile that. And I thought, how can I reconcile uh, my beliefs with my actions? And now what I do, I absolutely, and I teach us, practice what you preach, you know, be a living example of of what you believe in. And people will then look at you and and say, you know, they'll look up to you as a role model or as an example. And one of the big things for me is when you lead, lead by example. I believe the best type of leadership is when you do, when you lead from the front. Mm -hmm. I like how you describe mindfulness on your website. Please share it with us. So for me, mindfulness it is a process of refinement. We have loads of different thoughts going through our mind on a constant basis. And we're constantly bombarded by external influences, whether it be social media, the television, you know, society as a whole. They're always bombarding us with opinions, with different things that may not necessarily be good for us. My process of mindfulness is refining our thoughts and any negative thought or any thought or even self um, negative talk. I I teach myself to discard those thoughts and I constantly 
it's it's a daily battle almost of you know when you get like a, a cup of tea and you, or or you get like a sieve and you sieve out the excess. Um, mm-hmm. So you sieve out the the thoughts that aren't good for your brain. Sieve those out. Almost like remember back in the day in America when they um, when they were looking for gold in the Midwest was it I think mm-hmm. they'd, they'd go into these rivers and they'd get like a sieve and they'd they'd sieve out the gold bits. Right. You know that, that's the good bits. That's what you want and all the rest of it, the, the dirt. You know that goes through the sieve and. and and we, we don't want that bit, do we? So you know, right. it's, it's that process of refinement. Refine your thoughts daily. And what, what you'll find eventually is that your brain, your brain is actually quite smart. Um, it's like exercising your brain. Your brain will start like, getting muscle memory almost. And it will remember, actually, you know, that was a negative thought. that I, I won't think that again mm-hmm. or I won't go there again. And we, we build that muscle memory in our brains as well. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Tell us the relationship between meditation and faith. I think there is a big um, correlation. There is a big, a, a big link. Um, I think you can meditate without without having a faith as such. I mean, if you look at Buddhism, for example, it's not very it's not explicit as to you know whether there's a deity there or whether there's a dogmatic belief system. Mm-hmm. So, to some degree, you can come at it from that angle without the dogma without the deity aspect and meditation can work for you in in that respect however i think if you want to change your life completely and you want it to be all pervading um there has to be that element of faith um because what we're asking for is something outside of ourselves it's something bigger than ourselves we're asking for when we meditate we're, we're asking to link to that higher consciousness so we have to have as a, as a minimum, as a base, we have to believe or have faith in a higher consciousness that we're a part of something bigger, mm-hmm. that our individual consciousness links to the wider consciousness. And I think, you know, if we take away Christianity or if we take away religion or Sikhism or all these other faiths, we have to have that small amount of faith that there is something bigger out there, whatever that may be. Uh, I think there was there's a saying, you know, uh, the, the you know faith, the size of a mustard seed can move mountains, and so I think that's the kind of mindset I try and teach people. You know, mm-hmm. have that small, small ma- amount of faith, plant the seeds, and what nurture those seeds, and watch them grow into you know massive oak trees, or, or you know watch yes. them grow into the spirits that can actually move mountains. Mm-hmm. What about meditation and well being? What do you see as the relationship? So from a scientific point of view, it's quite interesting. Now, the research is actually quite solid on this now. What we're seeing is that meditation, the research is showing that meditation increases dopamine in the brain. And dopamine is a big you know, chemical in our brain that increases motivation. It regulates our mood. And meditation has shown to actually you know, increase or stabilize dopamine. What people were taking you know, antidepressants for before or taking mood stabilizers, stabilizers for we can actually we're showing that no actually meditation can do the same thing if not better and, and without the harmful side effects which is i think right. is a good a big plus the other part of it is i think meditation gives you a discipline it's a regular part of your routine that you you know something that you commit to it's small it's quite a simple thing to do really if you think about it it's something that you are commit to it definitely gives me that structure in my life you know something that i can base 
built it's, it's a foundation something that i can you know base uh, the rest of my life around the science is pretty solid now and i think um from a from a faith point of view as well what meditation teaches is that we have a lot of internal uh, spiritual trauma or baggage that we carry around with us Mm-hmm. And so the meditation, the actual breathing that I mentioned earlier, the sars geras, which means, you know, the breathing in and out. We breathe out that negative trauma that we've been carrying around with us for, for you know, many years from our childhood, mm-hmm. from traumatic relationships. We're breathing that out and we're breathing in fresh new energy. So and when we breathe like at a normal rate, you know, it's enough to keep us going. It's enough to keep us alive. But when we meditate, when we do the Sarskaras technique, we actually hyperventilate. So it's either long, deep breaths or it's short and sharp. So we're hyperventilating and we're bringing in that excess air or that excess energy into our system, which then cleanses. I mean, the, the yogis back in the day in India, in the ancient yogi system actually said that the breathing technique was an inner cleansing technique hmm. that cleanses our inner body and our inner being uh-huh. and our soul effectively and our mind this is what the yogis used to teach and you, the actual term yogi means to you know become uh, it, it means union to become become one with everything so yeah i think well-being and faith um go hand in hand quite nicely why did you become a certified meditation coach one of the things that i want to do is um start teaching this within the workplace so your big corporations, your Apples, your Googles, your Nikes, you know, I want to go in there and change uh, the workplace culture. And a lot of the time, these big businesses, they want accreditations, they want certifications. But, you know, for your business, if you, if you want to go to the corporate world and change that environment, I think the, the certification is going to help uh, and open a lot of doors. So that, that's the main reason. It's not just meditation and well-being, yeah. but you also get into other things in the corporate world. Talk about the other things you get into. Yeah, yeah. So well-being is a, an all-encompassing thing. So one of the things that I changed, for example, was my diet. So in the yogi, yogic tradition, in the Sikh tradition, in the Indian tradition, there's a specific diet which is more conducive to spirituality and, and well-being. Mm-hmm. And that's called the sattvic diet. So the sattvic diet, me, it's like a, it's a peace. Sattvic is a peaceful state of being, and there are certain foods that are more conducive to that. So one of the things that I would like to do is change the diet, like in the canteen at workplace or, or or the mess hall, I guess you call it in America. This the food that you serve is like burgers, it's fried food, it's really unhealthy food, isn't it? And you go back after yes. lunch and you're you're lethargic, you're not really focused, are you? You kind of you know, you're not productive, are you? Essentially. And trying to stay awake exactly that that's the big thing so the sattvic diet is the one that is more more most conducive to the the peaceful state the the on the opposite side there's something called the tamasic diet tamasic which is like fried food which makes you sleepy so in the workplace i want to change these corporations you know what they serve to them to their, you know what what we we are what we eat and you know what we put into our bodies is important it affects the way we think you know we eat something bad and we, we don't it can put us in a bad mood we eat something healthy it puts us in a you eat a salad you eat something healthy you're feeling light you're feeling fresh you know you know you're feeling ready to go so that's one of the big things i want to change is change people's diets such a simple thing that we can do you know you've changed the diet you change you know you implement that meditation and then you know 
let's start working on the mind as well. Let's, you know, let's start changing. The other thing I actually want to change is how we interact with others in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's something called, well, integrity is a big thing for me. So truthful living, and, and, you know, we have to be in truthful in the workplace also. We have to um, show a level of integrity. And so one of the things I want to teach is ethics and morals in the workplace. And actually, when we're truthful, it's more conducive to our well-being. You know, when you when you make a mistake at work sometimes, you think, oh, I made a mistake. I don't want my manager to find out. And sometimes, you know, and I used to do this when I was younger. You try and cover it up or you might tell, you know, mm. you might bend the truth. Yes. And it actually makes the situation worse. So in my ethics training, what I want to say is just be truthful from the beginning. Admit, mm-hmm. own the mistake. Admit you made the, made the mistake. You know, rectify it. And, and what, you know, when you're truthful, you're much lighter. Your your soul is lighter. Your mind isn't overthinking. When you when you're trying to cover something up, your mind's overthinking. You're constantly stressed. You know, look, mm-hmm. think about how many people in the workplace are worrying about mistakes that they made. You know, if we could take that burden away from people, that's half yes. of the probably the stress has gone straight away. So I think that integrity and truthful living. I want to encourage that more and say to managers and leaders and say, you know what, you know, give people a break. You know, let's embrace this truthful living, truthful working culture. And the other big thing is, is how we interact with others, being respectful towards others. Um, mm-hmm. We see, you know, we see a lot of tension in the workplace, don't we, between you know colleagues yes, sometimes. Definitely. Um, and a, and one of the things I want to teach is conflict conflict resolution. And you know, that's all inevitably going to be you know beneficial for our well beings. Yeah. What about strategic thinking? What I'm talking about is changing the strategy of well-being. So it's an all-encompassing part of HR strategy, how we deal with people. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we teach in spirituality is giving back. So, and in the corporate world, it's called corporate social responsibility. Right. Why, you know, and this is, you know, this is the karmic effect. This is the karma. This is the give and take. When we, when we give to others, we receive so much back and we become so much more abundant. We gather spiritual wealth. So in the workplace, what I want to teach is let's redefine corporate social responsibility. So it's not just a checkbox exercise. Do you know what I mean? Companies do it to say, oh, we've got a CSR statement. We we, we do our bit for corporate right. social responsibility. I want to make it something tangible. Let's set up partnerships with local charities with local social enterprises whereby we're giving something back you know where something tangible whereby actually the employees actually go out and actually do a bit of work a bit of service i mean i volunteer my time at the church and the sikh temple so i wash like we, there's a there's a free open kitchen at the sikh temple so i'll go and wash the dishes there or i'll go mm-hmm. and serve the food primarily i wash the dishes there and the pans but also at the church i'll try and clean the church up i'll you know clean clean up the cemetery I'll mm-hmm. do my bit. So, you know, when, when when you get hands-on involved, it changes you internally. You know, it helps build discipline. It helps build compassion for others because, you know, you're serving others. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about strategic thinking. I want to check, you know, when, pe- when HR draws their roadmap for the year, I want to put serving others at the top. I want to put integrity at the top. top. I want to put truthful living truthful working at the top of your roadmap hr people hr leaders i'm talking to you guys at the moment when you're drawing when you're setting your budget you know we're looking at your return on investment i'm saying to the hr directors you, you know some some of the return is not going to be tangible it's not going to be what we call the hard return you know it's not I mean mm-hmm. the bottom line return it's going to be the soft return your people metrics 
you know, your staff retention, your customer satisfaction, your employee happiness, you know, it's going to be some of those metrics that we're looking at. And inevitably that will impact your bottom line. You will see more productivity. You will see better sales. You know what I mean? You will see better customer engagement. So yes. I think that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about strategic thinking. We can't be thinking in silos anymore. HR has to be working with the wider society. We have to be working with our local um, charities. You know, I live in Birmingham in the United Kingdom. You know, I'm talking to the corporations in Birmingham. You know, look at the landscape in Birmingham at the moment or the United Kingdom. Are mm-hmm. you talking to the right? Are you talking to the charities out there? Are you talk? Are you getting involved in the causes? Are you getting involved in, in the you know the work that the city is doing? The, I mean, we've got the Commonwealth Games here at the moment in Birmingham. It just started last night. I think the Queen's Baton Relay um, reached Birmingham City. I think it spent two hundred plus days touring the Commonwealth countries from Jamaica mm-hmm. to India, and it's come back to Birmingham. So what I'm saying to the leaders in Birmingham, in the United Kingdom, and in the world as a whole is get involved in your community, see what's happening, get your fingers on the pulse. Uh, and, you know, don't just make it a checkbox exercise, put your heart and soul into it. And this is what I, you know, when I talk about, you know, when I founded Soulbright, you know, there's a reason there's a name, that was the name that I thought of. You know, I want people to think with their soul. I want to brighten up people's souls. So put your soul into any everything that you're doing. You also talk about thought leadership. What do you mean by thought leadership? So again, it's about changing hearts and minds. So it's about changing people's mindsets. For me, it's about being that thought leader. So the things that I'm talking about today, putting it out there through, um, you know, through a media like yourself, through like mm-hmm. the Embers and Wind podcast, yes. hope to be on more podcasts. So, you know, you're a thought leader. So, you know, we need more thought leaders like you, like myself, coming together and talking about the alternative things, the holistic side, the spiritual side, and then how we combine this with the the material world, let's call it, how we combine this with the the business world. So it's all the things that I talked about. It's just try and change people's mindset to be more ethical mm-hmm. um, and not just be all about greed. You know, a, a lot of People and businesses and organizations are about power and greed and ego. And we need to eliminate these. And, you know, we need to be thinking about compassion and humility and serving others and truth and contentment. You know, many people aren't content nowadays. So, you know, when, when we talk about thought leadership, you know, who are the people that are pushing? Just be content with what you have. Okay, you're not a millionaire, but be content. You've got a roof over your head. You know, the people yes. out on the streets nowadays, you know, we're not teaching contentment enough. A lot of the generation that I'm seeing coming through now, uh, and it's not a bad thing, you know, we, they should be ambitious, but, you know, are they content? They're always searching for that next thing. You know, they're always, you know, when, once they get to the first million, they're searching for the next million. You know, they, they should right. be content. Be content. Live in the present. Live in, in the today, in the now. Be content with what you have because you don't mm. know what tomorrow will bring, you know, in the bar, in Christianity, it says pride always comes before the fall. So, you know, when you get to that top of the mountain, be content, be humble, because you don't know when you're going to come tumbling back down the mountain. You know, it can happen at any time. I've seen it happen yes. so many times. And in, in fact, I can I can predict it. I can see it in people, you know, they're doing well in business. You know, the, 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 the directors, the managers now, they're made in life. They're at the top of the mountain, but they're not humble about it. You know, their, their ego is maybe getting, you know, ahead of them, themselves a little bit. 
so I always say embrace the virtuous life em- embrace things that are going to be good for your soul that's what what I would say and meditation is one means to be able to be more humble in life 100% it's one means serving others is a big means selfless service in Sikhism it's called seva and obviously Christianity has a big you know the red, the Christian Red Cross is one of the biggest organizations in the world they do selfless yes. service around yes. the world absolutely brilliant work and you know we got Sikh organizations in the UK we got Khalsa Aid they go to all the major disasters in the world famines earthquakes you know Khalsa Aid are there as are the Christian Red Cross so the mm-hmm. Sikh and Christian charities are doing amazing work and they're doing amazing selfless service. And I want to encourage the rest of the community, religious, non-religious, spiritual, non-spiritual, I want to encourage everybody to get involved. Now you reference a study on your website by Professor Herbert S. Kindler. Tell us about that. So Professor Kindler, what he did, he did a study with around... He got some management students and he did a study whereby he wanted to see the effect of meditation on these management students. So we got Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of students that would meditate and then they would do some problem solving. Uh, And then you got a whole bunch of students that wouldn't meditate and then he would get them to solve problems as as teams. Mm -hmm. So what he wanted to see is the effectiveness of meditation on teamwork and problem solving. And the research was actually quite astonishing, really. Uh, it, it actually said that people, the teams that meditated, they were more effective problem solvers and they worked more effectively as teams. Mm-hmm. And the teams that didn't meditate, they weren't as good and they felt more stressed. Whereas the teams that did meditate, when they were working together as teams, they felt less stressed. So what, what that says to me and what the, the research shows is that, you know, organizations and companies that are looking for, you know, more effective team building. I mean, we have a lot of team building. We have team building days. You know, we go away. We might do archery. We might do different obstacle courses. Yes. You know, we play games. Um, why not do group meditation as a team building exercise and then do some problem solving stuff, you know? And, and, you know, it's been proven. The research has shown that, you know, you're a better, you're a better problem solver. You're a better t- team player. And you're less stressed. That's the big one. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of time when we're at work or when we're in teams, when we feel stressed, we automatically go into that fight or flight mode. And so, you know, meditation, get, it kicks our body. And, you know, it, it tells us not to go into that mode. We're not, we're not in a, a in a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. You know, that fight or flight mode. Apparently, I read somewhere, and there's actually a very famous uh, doctor in, on, in, on your side in America called Dr. Joe Dispenza. I don't know if you've heard of his work. but I've heard the name. Yeah, he, he does a lot on meditation. He's done a lot of studies. And what he said is his research showed that we live in this society, 70% of our body and our life is lived in fight or flight mode, 70%. We, we're constantly seeing um, things that are a threat to us, perceived threats. They're not real threats. It comes from ang- overthinking you know, we think that 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 colleague that is doing very well at work, they're, they're going to take our job. You know, we're overthinking, mm-hmm. seeing these threats. Right. And so what Dr. Joel Dispenza said was that, you know, meditation, it kicks us out of that fight or flight mode. So when we see that colleague in the workplace, they're doing well. Instead of being threatened by the person, you know, we're, we're overthinking and we're, we're seeing a perceived threat. You know, let's, let's meditate and, and, you know, neutralize that threat and, you know, champion 
the other person champion you know work together let's be happy for other people let's be happy that other people are doing well and when our time comes that other people will be happy that we're doing well also right that makes sense yeah now on your website you mention regular meditation has proven to increase brain production growth of growth hormone serotonin and dopamine and you've already talked about this a little bit yeah can you tell us any more about this i think the big one is really the um, effect on dopamine that it has i mean dopamine is the big one a lot of the medication that we we get like antidepressants and mood stabilizers they are supposed to stabilize our, our dopamine levels Mm-hmm. meditation research has proven to do this more efficiently and without the, the negative side effects and it's a more long lasting and I, 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 you know I'm a living example of it really I mean I was on antidepressants I only took them for I didn't take them for long I mean they work for about a week and then after that they don't work to be honest with you <laughs> and I realised that when I took when I did meditation, it, it worked constantly. I'm constantly in a stable, you know, happy, more uh, peaceful mood. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing that meditation has been shown to do is that it increases growth hormone, the production of growth growth hormone. What growth hormone is good for is better quality skin. So we actually look better. You know, you got that glowing skin, uh, which you know obviously the women are going to be loving that. And a lot of the, you know, the, the the conscious men, let's say nowadays, are going to be going to be into that as well. Yes. Also, growth hormone is good for building muscle. So you know, if you're going to the gym, the meditation is going to increase the growth hormone, which is going to give you that those extra gains in the gym. Also, and serotonin, really, what that is big on, what that actually does is it increases motivation. So I I constantly feel motivated now. You know, I rarely feel demotivated. I've got a lot of energy. You know, I, I can I can put my mind uh, in a diff a lot of different places and a lot of different projects, and I feel like I can actually accomplish them. Whereas before before meditation, I would feel overwhelmed. I didn't have that motivation to do things, even do basic things, just look after myself, look after my personal well being, go to the gym. Didn't have that motivation. Whereas, you know, when you meditate, that serotonin will give you that motivation. It's, it's like rocket fuel. It'll give you that kick that you need in life. I can picture a lot of companies being interested in, in serotonin. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. How can someone stay connected with you? I'm thinking there is a listener who's been listening to this episode and they want to connect with you. Yeah, sure. So check out my website. It's www.soulbright.co.uk. So it's uh, Soulbright as in Eventbrite. So it's spelled B-R-I-T-E and Soul as in Soul Searching. So just, uh, you know, uh, check out my website. There's a contact us form on there. My email, there's a generic email address on there as well. Drop me an email. If you've mm-hmm. got any questions, um, you want to know more, you want to know how meditation can work for your business, how it can work in your personal life. Um, I'm happy to work with charities, social enterprises. I think it's important to do work, you know, not not just for monetary means, but to actually make a, a difference in society. So if there's any charities out there, any mental health charities that want to, you know, find out more, you know, get in touch. Or any businesses, any corporations that want to implement well-being in their mm-hmm. workplace, 
it's going to require a big culture change because meditation is not seen as mainstream at the moment. But, you know, that's one of the things that I do want to do. So if you're unsure about it, get in touch, you know, see what it's about, and then we can take it from there. That's what I would say. How can somebody learn from you? Let's say there's somebody yeah. listening who wants to get into meditation. So I do set up regular seminars. So check out, I do seminars that I list them on Eventbrite. I also uh, publish seminars on LinkedIn. So check me out on there. If you want to do one-to-one work, drop me an email. And I'm happy to, you know, do a, set up a 15-minute Zoom call just to show you the basics. And then we can see, you know, what you want to do from there on onwards. But yeah, just reach out. I'm happy to teach. One of the big things that I'm, you know, want, want to do in life is make sure that everything that I've learned and experienced is very important for me to pass that on. A lot of people, they learn things. And like, oh, no, this is a secret. I'm going to keep this to myself. I'm the exact opposite. You know, if I can improve somebody else's life, you know, because I was in that dark place once upon a time. And I right. had no no um, hope for it. I had, there was right. no light on the end of the tunnel. So what I would say to you is just reach out any way that you can. If you're unsure about what to say, just, you know, start speaking, start a conversation with me. Reach out and I get back to any, everybody. You know, anybody that asks for my help, you know, I'm not going to turn away. My door is always open to everybody. Very good. And, and if an HR manager is listening to this and wants to reach out to you, for their company, would you yeah. guide them the same? Yeah, it'd be, I mean, the one-to-one -one work would be uh, slightly different. So the, with a HR manager, what I would say is, let's look at your organization. What do you want to achieve? What are the mm -hmm. problems in your organization? What are the people problems? Thank you so much, Tal, for being a guest on Embers and Wind. Thank you, Keith. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you for joining us today on Embers and Wind. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Embers and Wind. If you enjoyed today, please come back next week. Please also share this episode with a friend. If you've not already subscribed to Embers and Wind, rated this podcast, and written a review, please do this now. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at embersandwind.net. Thank you again for joining us.